yeah, this, uh, this last week I actually got new glasses. I ca- I'm going to call them my executive pastor glasses because a number of people have already told me they make me look old. <laughs> so then I could be maybe taken more seriously. But I uh, decided I'm going to wear these glasses. Hey, Miles. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, I was going to wear these glasses today, my cool guy pastor glasses. It's just so sunny. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, how about that? Um, yeah, so, you know, I was, I, I, when I looked at this passage, I was thinking there's a lot of mistakes uh, highlighted here, and making mistakes is, uh, is an awful experience, or when we have big failures. And uh, I want to read you some of these. So, so in 1962, Decca Records was under the belief that guitar groups would not have a place in the future, and they turned down the opportunity to sign a little-known band called The Beatles. So that was a big mistake. Uh, 1964, a grad student unwittingly kills the oldest known tree, a bristlecone pine dating back 5,000 years, apparently, uh, when he accidentally chopped it down to try to free a tool that was stuck in it. I don't know what this guy was doing near this tree anyway, but... Uh, 1971, Ford unveils the Pinto. Who here owned a Pinto? Anyone owned a Pinto? Oh, wow! Okay. I'm glad that you're still with us. Uh, You probably knew this, but um, it burst into flames when it was rear-ended. So I'm glad that you're here with us today. Uh, They had 1.5 million of these vehicles recalled. In 1990, NASA spends 1.5 billion to build and launch the Hubble Space Telescope, only to realize that once it's in space, it takes blurry photos. In 1993, Super Bowl fourth quarter, uh, Cowboy Leon Lett showboats in front of the end zone, giving Buffalo's Don Beebe a chance to come from behind and strip the ball. So he didn't make the end zone. Maybe some of you saw that. Yeah, some, some applause there. There you go. The Cowboys lost again. Uh, 2000, Blockbuster passes on buying the DVD-by-mail upstart Netflix. They said, forget it, it's not going to happen. It was was offered to them for $50 million, and in 2018, the market value of Netflix was $150 billion. Whoops. Uh, 2014, the French government buys 2,000 new trains that are too big for 1,300 of their stations. It then spends $60 million to widen the platforms. Some simple measuring would have solved a lot of their problems. You know, we've all made mistakes, hopefully not that big, but maybe. We've all made mistakes in our lives. And uh, today's passage highlights this uh, in some major ways. So let's, let's check out Malachi chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 9. And now this indictment, you priests... If you refuse to obediently listen, and if you refuse to honor me, God of the angel armies, and worship, then I'll put you under a curse. I'll exchange all your blessings for curses. In fact, the curse is already at work because you're not serious about honoring me. Yes, and the curse will extend to your children. I'm going to plaster your faces with rotting garbage, garbage thrown out from your feasts. That's what you have to look forward to. Maybe that will wake you up. Maybe then you'll realize that I'm indicting you in order to put new life into my covenant with the priests of Levi, the covenant of the God of angel armies. My covenant with Levi was to give life and peace. I kept my covenant with him, and he honored me. 
he stood in reverent awe before me. He taught the truth and did not lie. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He kept many out of the ditch. He kept them on the road. It's the job of priests to teach the truth. People are supposed to look to them for guidance. The priest is the messenger of God of the angel armies. But you priests have abandoned the way of priests. Your teaching has messed up many lives. You have corrupted the covenant of priests, uh, of priest Levi. God of the angel army says so, and so I am showing you up for who you are. Everyone will be disgusted with you and avoid you because you don't live the way I told you to live, and you don't teach my revelation truly and impartially. So some pretty heavy words for us this morning. You know, one of the biggest mistakes a pastor can make is not teaching sound doctrine and bringing glory to God. The original context of this passage clearly was directed to priests. And because of the work of Christ, we no longer need priests. You don't need a mediator in your relationship with God. You have full access, and you do not, pre- you do, you do not need priests to take sacrifices for you, to forgive you, uh, to make sure that God hears your prayers. However, just because we no longer need priests doesn't mean that we can just toss this whole passage out. Uh, if you remember last week, 1 Peter 2.9 said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are now the priesthood of all believers. That all believers are priests means that not only pastors, but also the person in the pew, or in the car, or on YouTube, or in this field here, has the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of the Bible. I'm sure you know this already. But just because every person who is united to Christ shares in this priestly office does not mean that we should reject the authority, the function, and the office of pastor. We are indeed a holy nation and kingdom of priests. Christ dispenses this holy office to all Christians through the outpouring of the Spirit. But in addition to this blessing, Christ has also given to the church gifts. So in Ephesians 4, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. The shepherds and teachers of the church are priests just like the rest of the body. But the Spirit has uniquely uniquely gifts them so that they can equip the church for their own growth. These shepherds and teachers are one part of the body of Christ, not greater than any other part, but necessary nonetheless. God has sovereignly arranged the body of Christ in such a manner that each part, though different in function and gifts, needs every other part. With that in mind today, may we consider our roles, your roles and mine, as we move forward. So as you know, I've started a new, a new pastoral role here at Gospel Chapel, and I'm starting to learn some of those new functions, uh, and some of you have made sure to let me know what you think those roles should be and what they are. But if I don't have a clear understanding of what my role is in this church family, and you don't understand my role, and the role that you play, we are going to get really frustrated. You should know the calling that is on a pastor and how the pastors at your church are supposed to carry themselves. With this proper understanding, you are equipped to better pray, 
support, and hold pastors accountable to their calling. We as pastors, too, can help you in the roles that you play in this church body. One of the key roles of a pastor, especially as we read through this passage today, is to teach, to equip the priest for the work that is ahead. Uh, The passage today, along with others, makes it very clear that this role is not to be taken lightly. So look at some of these. James, Luke, and Hebrews says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Great. Uh, Luke says, Everyone to whom much has given of him, much will be required. From him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And in Hebrews it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. So some pretty heavy words for, for shepherds here. My role in this job is to take time to be with God every week, to hear what he has to say, and then come to you as I am now with that word, with that message. Not because you can't on your own go to the Word and go there every day and hear from God, but because you also have pastors who are looking out for you, looking to bring God's message to you, uh, because we know you and, and we love you. We want to care for you. The words, follow me as I follow Christ, come to mind. Allow me to set an example to follow. From there, our hope would be that you would be taking the mission on that you would be using your gifts and sharing the gospel with people and discipling people in our community. Follow me as I follow Christ. You know, when I, when I prepare sermons, I am praying and I am thinking of you. I am seeking to listen to God to hear what he has to say specifically to this group of people. My hope is that that is enough reason for you to pay attention to lean in, and to desire to come out on Sundays. I fail you as a pastor when I don't lead you and teach you well. The calling of a pastor is no small thing and should never be taken lightly. It comes with a lot and the risks are high. Too many pastors, as we all know, have failed their congregations over the years. The Bible makes it very clear that sexual immorality is not to be taken lightly, and the church has an awful history of pastors failing in this regard. The Bible also has a lot to say when it comes to doctrinal failures. We don't talk much about this, but what about the pastors that are failing in this area? Our passage today, among others throughout the Bible, makes it clear that this is no joke. Portions of Paul's letters deal with false teachers and people not properly handling God's word. A pastor should come to the congregation with a message from God. A congregation should be ready to hear it. This is of the utmost importance for both the pastor and the congregation. And it's not always easy. Eugene Peterson says, There is also this to be said. North American culture does not offer congenial conditions in which to live vocationally as a pastor. Those of us who enter into this way of life, this vocation, this calling, face formidable difficulties both inside and outside congregations. Idolatrous expectations from insiders and consignment to an irrelevancy by outsiders. It's not always easy. And it wasn't easy in the Old Testament either, as we saw from our passage today. But God's plan for you 
involves being connected to a local body of believers with a pastor who has been placed there by God. I have nothing that you don't have. I have the same access to the same all-powerful, loving God. I have the same access to the Scriptures. I have, as much as you might not believe, I have no superpowers. My prayers, a blessing over meals, carry no extra weight. You know, it's always, who's going to pray for the meal? Well, who's the the highest-ranking pastor among us? Let's ask them. But I'm just another schmuck like you. And for whatever reason, God saw it fit to entrust this congregation to my care along with Doug and the elders. And I do take that role very, very seriously. There's a lot of trust that is required in this relationship. And I'll continue to strive to show that I am someone worth trusting. And my word to you is that I will fulfill this role with integrity, both morally and doctrinally. Even this week, as I was preparing the sermon, I, I wrote it three times. And some of you who have written sermons can probably relate. You know, you, I wrote it out and I felt pretty good. And then I took another look at it and thought, no, that's not right. And I rewrote it. And then uh, I got my wife, Shana, to read it. And she said, it's not quite right. <laughs> uh, and in a very, very good way. And so I went through it again. I thought, yep, she's right. So last night I went back to my office and spent the evening praying and wrestling and thinking through that. And there were some things that I was like, oh, does God want me to say this tomorrow? And I wasn't sure, so I left it out. But I believe that the things that are here is what God wants us to hear. The question you need to ask yourself is, who is my pastor? Is it Ben and Doug? Is it someone else in Grand Forks? Is it someone on YouTube? How you answer that question will determine how you approach Sunday mornings and how you will live out your week. The words that we bring you every week are not merely suggestions. They should be messages straight from God, which means they apply to me too. And you know, society largely views pastors passively. You can take them or leave them. And again, Peterson laments, the culture treats me so amiably. It encourages me to maintain my orthodox creed. It commends me for my evangelical practice. It praises me for my singular devotion. All it asks is that I accept its definition of my work as an encourager of the culture's goodwill, as the priest who will sprinkle holy water on the culture's good intentions. But if I, even for a moment, accept my culture's definition of me, I am rendered harmless. I can denounce evil and stupidity all I wish, and I will be tolerated in my denunciations as a court jester is tolerated. I can organize their splendid goodwill, and they'll let me do it, since it's only for the weekends. This has a lot to do with what is being said in our passage for today. And those failures are highlighted in verses 2, 8, and 9. If you have your Bibles, you can look at those. It says, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised. 
before the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Those are very, very heavy words for us. But if you look at what the priest should be doing, you can look at verses 5, 6, and 7. This is, this is my hope and my goal for myself and, and even for us as a church family, as priests. My covenant with Levi was to give life and peace. I kept my covenant with him, and he honored me. He stood in reverent awe before me. He taught the truth and did not lie. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He kept many out of the ditch, kept them on the road. It's the job of priests to teach the truth. People are supposed to look to them for guidance. The priest is the messenger of God of the angel armies. Pastors must listen to God. Pastors must give glory to God. Pastors must live in step with God, not the ways of this world, practicing what they preach. Pastors must, must teach the full word of God, not just what they want or what's easy or convenient. And last week, Doug talked about this. Pastor Doug talked about this, about how people were giving whatever kind of sacrifice from their flock that they wanted, not their best. And the same thing applies for pastors. We should be bringing our best each Sunday with fear of God and not fear of man. Pastors must not be the cause for congregations to stumble. I can be, this is a bit scary, I can be held to account for the sins that I lead you into. Again, should be a, a good reminder to take this calling seriously and to take these sermons seriously. Pastors fear and stand in awe of God. They come before God each week, with, with, which means they must spend time with him to hear from him and then turn bring that message to the people. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor, and uh, his church let him know that he's not to be praying or reading his Bible during the week. And he kind of asked, he's like, is that normal? I said, it might be normal, but it's crazy. So you should be in the Word, you should be in prayer, and you should be hoping that Doug and I are doing the same thing for you. So the result of this is salvation and a deepening of relationship with Christ for the congregation. How crucial then is it for churches to have solid pastors, to have solid preaching? My friends, when I read Malachi chapter 2, it really saddens me and it scares me a little bit. I want nothing to do with this. I do not want God to say this of me or as, uh, to you as the priesthood of believers. And as you heard and, and probably already know, in two weeks we will be back in our building. Our hope is to have two services to help us cover everyone and, and perhaps more from the community. In two weeks, we start to stabilize as a church. And as I draw near to this date, I'm reminded of 1 Peter 5. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I fear that in the last 15 months, we have not been our best. And I'm not sure that the Church of North America rose to the occasion. I'm not interested in going over our collective missteps, but perhaps I can give you some of my own. I confess that I have not always shepherded this flock with willingness, but more with compulsion. Eagerness has not been the go-to phrase in my work as of late. And being an example to the flock has not always been the case for me. And I need to humble myself before God. Instead of looking for where God wants me to lean in, I have grown angry and bitter at the situation around me. And to be honest, I've grown bitter and angry with some of you. And my family has been on the receiving end of that too many times. I confess that instead of pressing deeper into the arms of Christ in prayer and scripture, I've got caught up in the circumstances around me. Instead of falling to my knees in prayer for this congregation and the people suffering around the world, I crafted arguments about petty politics and opinions. I confess that I wasn't there for some of you when you needed me most. And I know that it wasn't all bad, and I know that I did some good things, and I made the right choices, but I think it's important for you as a church family to hear that I also screwed up. And I don't want to end up like these priests in Malachi. We are a family, and families forgive, and they grow together. And that is what I am most interested in as we move into July. If you will forgive me for my missteps over the past 15 months, I am sure ready and willing to move forward with my eyes set on the Lord Almighty. When Henry Clausen and I worked together, we would often go out for coffee uh, for discipleship, and, uh, and he would mentor me and train me. And one of those occasions, Henry struck up a conversation with some people, which isn't that surprising if you know Pastor Henry. And as they were talking, I, w I noticed that uh, one of the ladies was getting increasingly agitated. And finally, she burst out saying, we don't need pastors. She was very adamant. We don't need pastors in our lives. And without missing a beat, with a big smile on his face, Henry said, you're right, but you do need Jesus 
(laughs) The reality is Doug and I will let you down. We will drop the ball, and we have made mistakes these last 15 months. And guess what? We're going to make more. Our desire, however, is to lead you to the great high priest whose name is love. There is a far greater pastor for your life who will never let you down. He doesn't make mistakes, and he knows your name. And he is waiting for you, and he loves you. And his name is Jesus Christ, and he is the Good Shepherd. Are you ready to bring glory to God? Taking his word seriously. Because this passage from Malachi certainly applies to me, but it also applies to the rest of you as you go out here on mission. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of so you can continue the mission God has for you? I'm going to end with one last quote from Eugene Peterson. The process of realizing my vocational identity as pastor, I couldn't help observing that there was a great deal of confusion and dissatisfaction all around me with pastoral identity. Many pastors disappointed or disillusioned with their congregations defect after a few years and find more congenial work. And many congregations disappointed or disillusioned with their pastors dismiss them and look for pastors more to their liking. In the 50 years that I have lived the vocation of pastor, these defections and dismissals have reached epidemic proportions in every branch in form of church. I wonder if at the root of the defection is a cultural assumption that all leaders are people who get things done and make things happen. That is certainly true of the primary leadership models that seep into our awareness from the culture Politicians, businessmen, advertisers, publicists, celebrities, and athletes. But while being a pastor certainly has some of these components, the pervasive element in our 2,000-year pastoral tradition is not someone who gets things done, but rather the person placed in the community to pay attention and call attention to what is going on right now between men and women, with one another, and with God This kingdom of God that is primarily local, relentlessly personal, and prayerful without ceasing. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and perhaps at times we have lost our reverence for you. Perhaps we haven't been standing in awe of your power. Perhaps we've gotten too caught up with circumstances around us. And some of that we rightfully can be frustrated with, saddened, scared. But Lord, we do not want to miss these opportunities you have for us. May you forgive us in our missteps. And may you strengthen us as we move forward as a church family. May you forgive me and my missteps as a pastor and a shepherd. And may you strengthen me moving forward, as well as Doug and 
and the elders and other leaders in our church family, our hunger and our desire is to see you moving in our church, in the churches in Grand Forks, in our community, and the surrounding communities. We want more and more people to come to know you because it is the best life to be living under the care of the Good Shepherd, the Great High Priest. We will hurt one another. We will let each other down. But we also need to be quick to forgive and to move forward together with our eyes set on you. As we all have different giftings and, and roles to play, none that are more important than any other, including pastors and shepherds and leaders, may we all hold each other accountable, praying for one another and encouraging one another and strengthening one another. Standing side by side, unified under the mission that you've given us, Lord, I pray against disunity in your church in the churches in North America and around the world. I pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be on the move, to be unifying us, to be empowering us. May we not be shocked or surprised when we see churches overfilling with people wanting to know the truth and coming to know you. May we not sell you short of your power May we be used by you, Lord. May we not be like these priests highlighted in this chapter. But may we honor you. May we teach the word rightly. Uh, may we trust in you, Lord. Thank you so much for this church family, for my brothers and sisters, for my friends. Lord, I am just overjoyed to be with them. I look forward to the summer and into the fall as we continue to move forward on mission. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So friends, may we go from here on mission. May we be excited for what God is going to do. And if you don't know that good shepherd, you got to know him. <laughs> so I pray for you as well. I don't know how to end now, so I'm just going to say <laughs> have a great week. <laughs> I want to think of something really good, but I can't. So, so God's probably telling me to stop talking. So anyway, love you very much. Have a great week, everyone.